can't believe Dad has gone. I mean, Dad, best Dad, gone. Yes, Dad, uh, my Dad has gone. <laughs> make a massive cock up of the whole thing you won't no chance you're brilliant hey everybody welcome to backcast number one where we cover episodes one and two of the new mitchell and webb series back on channel four my name's laura and i for one i'm glad vinyl is making a comeback my name is sean and i'm not because vinyl's only for cunts <laughs> harsh <laughs> how are you uh pretty good just still dealing with hurricanes and uh, nothing. I feel like for the last month of podcasts, it's been hurricanes and work, but that's yeah. literally all of my life has been. Yeah, fair what enough. What about you? Yeah, it's been. It's not been hurricane here, although it's been really rainy. Um, but I had a good week. On Tuesday, I went to the How To Academy in Westminster and saw a Q and A between Robert Webb and Victoria Corin Mitchell, which was very interesting. Yeah, how was that? Yeah, it was great. It was absolutely fascinating. Um, I'm hoping once you've read the book, we'll be able to talk about it in a bit more detail. And I took so many notes on the Q&A. So at some point, either we've got to talk about it together or I'm going to have to record something because it was it was so good. And he revealed a lot about Peep Show and the characterization of Jizz and stuff. So I'm really looking forward to uh, talking about that once you've received your copy of the book. Oh, I can't wait. I've been, even though I know it's probably not here, I've been eagerly checking the mail looking for it. Yeah, well, if that last thing I said you was anything to go by, it'll be there in about three weeks. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm hoping that this time that they actually put a notification that I have a package. Because um, for some reason, they did not put that package in my mailbox and it was down at the clubhouse, which doesn't make any sense to me because that thing was like the size of a box of playing cards i don't know why they didn't just put it in my mailbox yeah well this is a bit bigger so maybe they will give you a notification i'm sure they will i'm sure mm -hmm. they will um so the other thing that i just want to talk about is that the show got picked up by a podcast network um so there's going to be some slight changes in the show starting next week it's still going to be the same show everything is going to be the same there will just be at the start of all of our shows, there'll be like just a five second advertisement for a different podcast in this network. Um, nothing else is changing. And yeah, so we're looking forward to working with this network to grow our show and help other people grow their shows, I guess. Very exciting. Yeah, yeah. So let's go ahead and talk about back. Yeah, let's um, do how do you want to do this? Do you want to talk about the characters first and then the episodes, or the episodes then the characters? Um, I guess maybe we should talk about the characters first. That would probably make more sense, yeah. wouldn't it? Yeah. Oh, so just kind of, I was just kind of looking over your notes. I just, I saw some stuff that I definitely agree with. Uh, I love the theme music. Like the theme song is pretty catchy. Yeah, it's good. Um, it's really good. I think it's another. Well, I liked Plip Plop on Peep Show. I said I think it's mm. another Plip Plop. Um, but yeah, it's really atmospheric and it works really well, I think. Um, yeah. Should we... I assume that everyone listening has watched back and knows what it's about, but should we maybe introduce the premise? Sure, yeah. Let's go ahead and start with the premise. Um, so uh, this is from the synopsis that was from, from Channel 4, 
which I'm going to cut down a bit, but the uh, the premise is that um, Stephen, who is played by David Mitchell, is set to take over his family business of a pub after his dad dies, um, and his dad's been like a, a pub landlord and a local legend in a bit small village. Um, I'm not actually sure where it is, like the Cotswolds or somewhere like that, for years. And um, we meet him just as his father's died before his dad's funeral. And a former foster child um, who was only there for a few months uh, returns to the funeral. Um, and that is Andrew, who's played by Robert Webb. And he charms the rest of Stephen's family, including the mum and the sister and the uncle. But Stephen is deeply suspicious of Andrew, who he sees as a, I quote, glib, dangerous sociopath who's about to steal his family, his business, and his life. Yeah, I think that about sums up the show. Yeah. Uh, podcast over. Have a great day. <laughs> um, but yeah, that does a great job of just kind of uh, of summing up base essentially what the show is about. Um, Steven is... I don't know. I think I would probably say that Steven is closer to Mark than yes. Andrew is to Jeremy. Yes, I would agree with that. I think you you couldn't get a fag paper between Mark and Stephen at this point. They're pretty similar characters. Stephen is older, maybe a bit more cynical because he's seen a bit more of the world. He's had a failed career as a lawyer and a failed marriage um, with uh, a character who is in it, who I believe is called Alison. Is that correct? Yes, yes a, a failed marriage with Alison. So he's a little bit more like maybe a little bit more rounded as a person than Mark, but that in turn has made him maybe more troubled, but they're fairly similar. I also think that he's an alcoholic. Yeah, he's definitely an alcoholic. We see that at the end of the, no, at the beginning of the second episode, don't we, when he's drinking in the morning, which is never a good sign. <laughs> it's yeah. never, ne ne never denotes a healthy attitude towards drinking. One of the ongoing kind of plots of, or I guess not plots, but one of the ongoing devices that the show uses is that every time Steven is forced to deliver bad news or just sort of news in general, the family reacts very like negatively towards him. And I don't think the family really understands how upset he is about his father's death. Um, no, but is that because he's clearly emotionally stunted in the same way that Mark is? And I've said that in my notes is that he is not comfortable in his own skin. He's emotionally repressed. And is it just that he doesn't show his family how he feels? So how can they possibly know? Yeah, that's a good point. Um, most That's a more of a predominant theme in the first episode than in the second episode where yeah, everybody... Yeah, I, I guess it's setting him up, isn't it, in that first episode? So we know yeah. who we're dealing with. He really... I feel like that he just really wants to live up to what his father um did for the pub and you know he has his own ideas and he wants to be his own man but at the same time he doesn't really feel like that his family sees him as that person yet i guess i get the feeling that from what he says about his dad and then from the flashbacks we see of his dad which they use to great effect especially in the first episode that his dad was a big character and he was a bit of a local legend and in fact the, the very first scene before even the credits in the first episode is of a local man stopping him on the street to say, oh, he was a great guy, your dad. And I guess he feels that it is impossible for him to live up to this idea of this pub landlord who knew everyone and had the heart of the village. Yeah, 
and especially since this seems like a smaller village. Yeah, this I is could... definitely a village as opposed to a town or a, a small area in a city, I think. I could definitely see how hard that would be if your father was well known to try to live up to the great expectations. Because while we never really see things that his father did, we hear the way that people talk about his father. And like Laura said, he does seem like a much larger than life person. Yeah. And I think that maybe it isn't that Stephen's lacking in personality, but he's a different, he's a quieter probably his, his talents lie in different areas and he's just never going to be able to live up to that he's never going to be that kind of landlord no no his ideas are more grandiose and in some regards less practical but yes yeah his heart he's is not... in the right spot oh definitely yeah yeah uh speaking of people whose hearts are in not in the right spot well at least not that we know of yet uh we have andrew played by robert webb i love andrew's character i think psycho robert webb is amazing this is this could potentially be like i could see them casting him as you know the suave slasher in like a horror movie oh yeah he could be a killer definitely i thought this was that when i was trying to think about where this could go i thought oh yeah andrew could murder someone and i thought and robert webb could play that amazingly oh my god this is like a whole new area for him he's gonna end up being like the slasher in luther or something and that's gonna be where his career goes next right and not that not that andrew is necessarily a serial killer or a killer or even psycho i mean honestly as of episode two we really don't know much about andrew period no so a lot of stuff is just speculation which is what what makes it really fun uh we don't really know anything about Andrew other than he is I Nicole and I were talking about him I was saying that he is kind of a chameleon that he just kind of changes his colors depending on the situation that he's in the people he's around it's but isn't that do you think because of the upbringing he's endured so he says in the second no maybe the first episode he says that he spent eight Christmases in care so we know that he's spent he's gone from pillar to post he's been in a lot of families and in a lot of care homes potentially and is he just changing his because he changes his opinion does he to suit who he's speaking to about homeopathy and does he just do that because that's the way he's learned to survive is to just agree with people to make them like him and make them love him that's funny that you say that because that was nicole's suggestion too she was like well he was an orphan raised in an orphanage so i'm sure that there's some sort of, you know, chameleonism going on there because you have to be able to survive in that situation. And exactly. Um, some of the other characters that we kind of meet, we have Jeff, who is. Well, uh, sorry. Before we get into Jeff, do you want to talk about Andrew at all? Because I feel like we talked for like hours on Stephen. <laughs> um, all I was going to say really about Andrew was that he is much more. I think that he's much more interesting in terms of from the point of view of the accent than um, Stephen is because he's such a departure from Jez. He's not like anything I've seen uh, Robert Webb played before. He's always played like Jez-like characters. Um, and in the Q&A that I saw on Tuesday night, he introduced himself by saying that you probably know me as the lovable, slightly thick, sex-crazed Jez from Peep Show. And that totally, <laughs> totally sums up Jez. And that is 
totally sums up pretty much all the characters I've ever seen in play. They're variations on that theme. Andrew is completely different to that. He's an intelligent schemer rather than a dopey freeloader, which is what Jez was. Yeah. Um, I got a I got kind of an interesting piece of feedback that you and I kind of talked about on Twitter in regards to kind of the 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 two different characters. Um, a somebody on Twitter, Deborah Lee um, Singer, sent us this. She said, "Hi, just watched the second episode of Back. I love that David Mitchell's character talks to himself as we're used to with Peep Show." but we have no clue what Robert Webb's character is thinking, so it adds to the mystery surrounding him. It really plays on the audience's sense of familiarity with the characters in Peep Show. And I actually, like, when she sent that, I was like, holy shit, that's a good point. I hadn't really thought about that. Yeah, you, you sent it to me, and I thought exactly the same thing, which was like, wow, what an amazing piece of insight. Probably one of us should have thought of that. <laughs> but, but it's absolutely true. That is precisely what Stephen is doing, that... And why we know, we feel we know him better by the end of the two episodes, I think. Yeah, that's, that was one thing that I, I definitely thought was funny was that you, you really, really know, you know, what's going on in Mitch, inside of Steven's head. Andrew is completely, you know. He's a complete mystery. I've got no. Yeah, he's a complete mystery. I'm, I'm no closer really to, at the end of the second episode to thinking I've, I've not got, I've not formulated what I think is going to happen with him any more than just from the the premise and seeing the advert that was on Channel Four. Like, not, and that's not to say that's not to detract from the writing or from Robert Webb's performance at all. I don't think we're supposed to know. I definitely don't know. Yeah, it's funny because I think I said to you that okay, you know, the first season is only six episodes, so I'm sure by episode two we will have a much better idea of what the hell is going on and you know the entire plot will kind of probably open up in front of us i gotta be honest we still don't really know anything more at the end of episode two than we did at the end of episode one no um i had to think about what i thought might happen and i genuinely don't know when we've talked about what actually happens in the episodes i've got I've got one thing. I don't want to spoil it for anyone that's not seen it or anyone that sort of wants to us to talk about that first that maybe might be about to be revealed. But actually, I don't know where it's going. Yeah. I, uh, it, Robert Webb's character is... Uh, Andrew is definitely the way more interesting of the characters for me, so... Um. I, the, the, the part of me that the thing's like, oh, this is going to follow like a linear kind of narrative thinks uh, well he's obviously out to get all their money but I'm not sure that's the case particularly after the end of the second episode I'm not sure that his motivation is is uh, financial yeah it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting to see where it goes I'm imagining by back cast number two in two weeks or we'll three have a weeks, better idea yeah probably we'll be going wow we did not see that coming at all and holy shit I hope so. I hope that I hope it is it goes like a weird way because as I'm so unclear as to where I think it's going in a good way, as I'm so keen to watch episode three to see what goes on, I'd like it to take a strange turn. Yes, me too. I would love to see it take a strange turn and just go, mm. Oh. Alright then. Uh yeah. interesting. 
Um, some of the other supporting characters we have, we have Jeff. Jeff is probably one of my favorite supporting characters in the show, mostly because you get to hear David Mitchell go, Jeff, in his, like, <laughs> yeah, I was, um, voice. I was doing a, a live tweet along with the, well, I don't know, with both episodes, but with the first episode, and when he did that, Jeff, is, uh, who put you up to this, Jeff, I tweeted that, and the Twitter was just going mad for, for Jeff jokes. Yes, it was great. Uh, I really enjoyed the little subtle... And who knows, I doubt it's even intentional because it's Jeff is spelled completely different. But I would like to think that this was a little um, nod a to little the peep nod. shows. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um yeah, uh, Jeff's great character. He is um the brother of the dead dad, so he is uh he is Stephen's paternal uncle. uncle and yeah. he is the older brother of Dead Laurie, the landlord of the pub. Is he the older brother or is he the younger brother? Oh, he's the younger brother, isn't he? Because he said he wanted to give him a big brothery send-off. Yeah. yeah. So he's... Yeah, you're right. Sorry. He's the little brother of dead landlord dad. But, you know, it's weird because you see a picture of Laurie right before he dies. And I gotta be honest, he looks way younger than Jeff does. I guess that's because it's the same actor who plays him in the flashbacks, though, isn't it? You can only do so much with uh, prosthetics. I guess that's true. Yeah. But, yeah, I agree with you. It would have made more sense probably to make Jeff the older brother, but hey... Yeah. Uh, we also have Ellen, who is Stephen's mom. She's kind of kooky and eccentric. Um, and then Stephen has a sister named Cass, who Cass seems to be completely infatuated with Andrew. Yeah, I think she... Do you think that like, she's going to try and make a play for him? Do you think that's where that's going? She already was, like, in the second episode, when she's telling him, like, oh... Andrew, come sit next to me. Come sit next to me. I mean, it's it's pretty obvious that she wants some of that Robert Webb action. <laughs> Do you think that it's going to get sexy between them? Do you think that's that's likely to happen? I think it's incredibly possible that there could be some sexy time between the two characters. Yeah, I think it might be on the cards as well. Yeah. And then... Let's see here. Who else do we have? Uh, oh, and we have Mike and Jan, who are the bartenders at the John Barleycorn, which is the pub that they um, that they own. Yes, um, and I've really enjoyed um, Mike, who is played by Oliver Mortman, who is he's one of those actors that's been in loads of stuff on telly over here. He's one of those people that you couldn't say precisely what you'd seen him in, but you will have seen him in stuff. And I thought, in the, particularly in the first episode, he had a couple of good lines and was underused a little bit. I would like to have seen more of him. Yeah, I feel like Jan is kind of the standout character in that yeah, duo. Yeah, between the two of them. And obviously, of course, we see the father in flashback form. So we see Laurie, the dad, um, in his younger days, in flashbacks in Stephen's memory. And uh, please refresh my memory. What is that actor's name? His name is Matthew Holness. Um, yeah. But there was some confusion on Facebook because me and my friend were referring to him as Garth Marenghi and you were like, the fuck is that? But um, he played a... So he was in Footlights with um, Mitchell and Webb. He was like the deputy um, head of Footlights when Mitchell was the manager, whatever, the, he was like the lead one. <laughs> and Matthew Holness was the, was the deputy. Oh, that's crazy. And then, of course, 
where I know him from is from Bruisers. Yeah, yeah, it, he was. That was the thing that the first thing I think on telly that Mitch Wormwood did. Yes, uh, I love Bruiser. It's so fucking funny. Yeah, but if you you must, I mean, I don't actually know if Garth Rango's Dark Place would make any sense to you. I like to think it would. I don't know if it's too British or too bizarre, but it's worth a look at anyway. <laughs> I will have to see if I can find that because it does sound kind of. Uh, I'm looking at. I'm just reading the quick review and it. Sounds like something that I might be interested in. I'm so. very proud to say that it is set in the very hospital where I was born. Aww. What a small world. I think that's mainly just because it's such a shithole that they set it in a shithole place and they were like, where comes to mind? Romford. That's so, yeah, that's why. <laughs> um, so now that we've kind of done the introduction to the characters, uh, let's go ahead and just talk a little bit Um about the episodes and then we'll just kind of uh, after we're done um talking about the episodes we can talk just kind of broad strokes about our thoughts and any theories that we might have okay so probably on these episode reviews we're just we're not going to go as in depth as we normally do on our peep show stuff so we're going to be talking more in broad strokes um we'll we'll i'm sure there's certain scenes we'll kind of dig into a little bit but yeah, we don't want this to be like a six-hour podcast either. No. So. Yeah, fair uh, enough. So episode number one, our very first introduction to the show is basically Andrew, and he's sitting in a cab, and this was really funny where the cabbie is like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad that you, you took this cab, and you know you really helped me out a lot, and Robert Webb's like, or excuse me, Andrew is like, no, my friend, you are walking the path yourself i'm just holding back the brambles you need to call that wife of yours and you you're thinking to yourself like oh this is nice like this guy and his wife were having issues and robert webb talked him into um you know reconciling oh that's so nice and then you sort of get the other shoe where he says the cabbie says yeah i am gonna call my wife and tell her that i'm leaving her for my goddaughter suzanne yeah, me and Phil were watching this, and we were both were like, ah, ah, like immediately you know he's a creepy bastard. Uh, that's what I wrote in my notes. I said that that's really creepy, because a goddaughter, I would imagine, would be like 10 to 15, if not 20 years younger than he <laughs> yeah, is. Yeah, she's going to be considerably younger than the cafe, I would say. Yeah. Um, this was kind of our introduction to Andrew, and it's great because you see that he's somewhat manipulative, but you don't really know... Uh, excuse me, you don't really know exactly what, um, you know, his his game is as a... Yeah, he's just, he's just, he's just gross. Like, that's the, I thought, yeah, okay, I don't know if you're evil, like you say, but, like, ick. You're an icky guy. Yeah. Um, and then we go into, I think, before the credits, even, this is that they have the two scenes that show us the two main yep. characters. And uh, we see Stephen, who is walking up a street in a village he's carrying shopping and he's approached on the street by a man who is tony gardner of fresh meat and lead balloon and my parents are aliens which is what phil shouted out when it came on which was a very popular show amongst 10 year olds in about 1996 and um he he in a very odd like country accent which is not tony gardner's real accent gives him a hug and offers him his thoughts and prayers and Stephen 
uh, says, you know, thanks, and says that he's bought sausage rolls for the week and that he has uh, allowed three per person because they're 80 grams each, which was, <laughs> was I thought was a very mock thing to say. Yes. Um, and Tony Gardner's character says that his father is going to be a tough act to follow. Everyone loved him. He says, oh, he was a living legend, or obviously not anymore. And, uh, and David Mitchell's character thanks him, and Tony Gardner goes on his way, and then Stephen thinks uh, he hated you, though, tedious bastard. And uh, this is a, you've written this in your notes, and this is the case. It's a plot device that's used a few times where um, David Mitchell is replaced by a child, and then mm -hmm. the child turns into big David Mitchell, and sometimes the child has David Mitchell's head. It's hard to describe, <laughs> but it's, yeah, a plot, it's, it's, a, yeah, it's a plot device that's used to kind of clearly show us that he still feels like a child inside. And um, then Stephen is told, yeah, by Tony Gardner's character to, to stay strong, but allow yourself to be weak or something like that. And yeah. um, and the child like disappears. And yeah, and that's when Stephen says that he didn't like you. You teed your shit bag. <laughs> you used to spit in your hand roll. And then, then we have the credits. Yep. And it's just, the credits are just simple. It's a, uh like a little tracking shot of like some British countryside and then the logo just kind of pops in the bottom right corner. Um, next scene we get, we're in the John Barleycorn, which is the pub that Laurie owned or I guess, and I guess still owns technically. Um, and we meet kind of the three main supporting characters. We meet bartenders, Mike and Jan, and then we meet Jeff and Jeff is the actor that plays Jeff is named Jeff McGiven, and we actually yeah. just talked about him in Quan Talking last week. We did. He was the, he's the one of the creepy swinger people that um, Mark and Sophie encounter in Quan Talking. Yeah, um, they have like a really funny conversation here. The three of them do where Jeff says he's going to give Lori a Big Brother send off, and then Jan starts talking about, "Oh, I didn't know you watched Big Brother." And Jeff is like, I don't watch Big Brother. And then Jan and Mike start having a conversation about Big Brother. And Jeff is just like, what the fuck are these people talking about? <laughs> yeah. Um, and this is interrupted by uh, Stephen coming in with his shopping bags. And um, Mike, in clearly in an attempt to kind of be sympathetic, asking him if he wants a panini. That's how he's showing that he feels sorry for him, grieving for his father. Mike says he likes the refurbed. Which um, which is odd because it's horrible, horrible refurb. <laughs> and Stephen is enthusiastic about it, and it's just like acres and acres of pine, as far as the eye can see. Um, the, the first time I watched this scene, I thought Mike said that he liked the reefer, right? Like he, okay, like he was talking about like a joint or something, and I was like, right. I was like, wow, what a weird what? thing to what a weird <laughs> thing to say. And then I was like, oh refurb okay i got all right makes but sense everyone's trying to be nice to uh steven and sort of say oh it's a lovely refurb but you can tell they hate it and we you're meant to hate it it's shit and the only person that does like the refurb is obviously the person who set it up which was Stephen. Yeah. and he says it was really expensive which makes it all the worse yeah um there's a running joke in episode one where people keep telling Steven that he needs to get his feelings out and he keeps saying like no I'm fine and they're like no really it's okay to cry and he's like no really I'm good um <laughs> Jeff also tells him to go see his dad 
Um, he says you can get to the funeral home before 6.30 um, because they close at 6.30. Um, one other place that they mention here is what the fuck is a cash and carry? So it's like a big supermarket that's used by businesses, like wholesale businesses. I don't actually know why it's called a cash and carry. I don't know, but it's like a, it's like a supermarket exclusively used by traders. Oh, okay. Because he... He talks about the reason he didn't get to see his dad was because the queue at the cash and carry was mental. And then I guess the it's kind of like Costco. It's like Costco is like a really big version of a cash and carry. So you buy okay. everything in bulk. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, sorry, go on. Oh, I was just going to say, once this scene is over, in the next scene we get Andrew and he's in an airplane there's a cabin crew member who is talking to a guy. Well, I guess she's not even really talking to him. There's a guy that is talking to one of the crew members in a language. And she's just like, I don't understand what you're saying. I don't even know what language that is. <laughs> and then Andrew says, that is the Basque language of the beautiful Basque people. Uh, allow me. I'm not saying I'm fluent. And then he just looks at this guy who is asking, how do you get to the train from the airport and andrew just says the train your military hand your ladders and it's all he can say and then the gentleman actually asks him a question and he just repeats the same thing again <laughs> and the guy can you can tell the guy kind of has this like what the fuck look on his face yeah and, and andrew just smiles at the at the flight attendant like I've sorted this out now, don't worry and she sort of smiles appreciatively <laughs> the next scene we're at steven's parents house and he's walking in, and he's got the sausage rolls, and he's like, oh, I got the one-up from economy, 30% meat, genetically closer to a cucumber. Yeah, that and... was the first line that made me laugh out loud in this show. Yeah, and then his mom calls him from upstairs, and she's like, Steven, Steven, come up here, I'm in your dad's office. And he comes up there, and she's just, like, token on, like, a giant, giant fucking joint, and I... That, like, really caught me off guard when she was smoking weed. It was the size of a baguette. It was huge. Oh, man. It, I would not turn that down like Steven <laughs> does. Yeah, and that was the second line that made me laugh. Uh, he, She offers him a bit, and he says no, because he's just had a massive toke on his brown inhaler. <laughs> um, she says that... She says that she has the last voicemail message that Laurie ever left her, and she plays this message, and it starts off really nice, where he's just like, Ellen, I just wanted you to know that I truly love you, and you're great, and god damn it, I dropped my yogurt, and he just starts kind of like yelling and swearing, and then the phone hangs up. Yeah, and she's like, oh, I saw what he was like, loving his family, dropping his yogurt, and Stephen just... Igno politely ignores this. Mm-hmm. It's so funny. Um, and of course, anybody who has kind of half a brain will realize that something is going to happen with this sooner yeah. or later. Yeah, they're setting that up. Um, yeah. And Stephen then mentions to his mum that he's got a plan for the pub and yep. he wants to put four static caravans in the like the gardens for glamping. Uh, and that's going to be what sort of saves the business, and the mum's just not interested in this. She says she wants to bury Laurie first. That's the priority. I know, and it's interesting because I actually 
don't think that it's a terrible idea. I mean, caravans are shit, but people would stay in them. So, yeah, it's not it's not a terrible business idea by any stretch of the imagination. No, it's not. It's not terrible. It's not fantastic. But no, it's not. It's not utter genius. But I reckon it would make money. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll talk more about this as as we go into episode two. But yeah, it's certainly not. It's sort of being a, a, the behaviour as though it's an absolute shit idea, and it's actually. I think that it would make it would make a profit anyway. You could advertise it on Airbnb or something. Exactly. Like that. Someone, I mean, I think I've mentioned this on this podcast before that I have a hatred of caravans that stems mainly from the fact that my parents in law fucking love caravans and they they always want us to stay in caravans and I just I would rather eat my own arm. They know this, so this is not a secret. And but but people there's a massive industry around caravanning. People fucking love it. So definitely it would make money. Yeah, I think it would I think it would definitely make money. Yeah. Um we get uh we get another scene in the airplane with Andrew. You can tell there's a there's a passenger on the plane who is having some sort of medical distress and the cabin crew calls for a doctor or somebody that knows CPR. Uh an actual I'm assuming that this other person is a legitimate doctor, but this other person stands up to begin to walk towards the front. Robert Webb just completely cuts him off and then just walks up to the front of the plane. And that's pretty much it for that scene. Yeah. Um, uh, and then we cut back to Stephen at home and he is uh, putting his dishes out and he's responds to a knock on the door and he opens it up and it's a hippie looking lady with bright red hair. Um, and this is his sister Cass. It emerges who tells him that he needs to go and see um the dad's body before it's too late and she uh there's a really funny bit where he Stephen sees through it immediately and is like has jeff put you up to this and she's like no and then jeff appears from behind the wall yeah and then you get a great you get you get the classic jeff (laughs) yeah he's raw as jeff jeff imagine any jeff from peep show and that's pretty much what you get in the scene and it it really, really fucking cracks me up when he's just like, Jeff. <laughs> um, and Jeff emerges from behind the wall and he says that everyone's worried about Stephen not saying goodbye to his dad. And when he's like, everyone, he's like, Cass, your mum, Jan, Mike, the guy on the phone in. And Stephen's <laughs> like, you ran, you ran a phone in about me. And Jeff says, yeah, I love a phone in. I don't know what I'd do without a phone in. And um, that really had, I laughed for about five minutes. It was not long before the, um, oh no, it was quite, it was before the adverts. I think I had to pause it. I was laughing so much because um, my husband is a massive fan of talk radio. Uh, Particularly British listeners will be familiar with, and London listeners will be familiar with LBC, which is like a big, it's just one giant phone in basically. Like I don't know how it's still on the air. But my husband fucking loves it. And the nutters, he loves listening to it after about 10 o'clock when the nutters start phoning in. And Jeff would undoubtedly be one of those nutters. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad that I knew what a phone-in was through your adventures when you were talking about when the guy was, like, Googling uh, your symptoms as Phil was talking to him. <laughs> so I was glad that I had I had at least somewhat of an understanding of what a phone-in was. So that yeah. was... That was fun. But Jeff has phoned a phone-in about Stephen's grief or lack of. And and then just as they're discussing this and Jeff says he doesn't know what he'd do without a phone-in or Pornhub. 
Um, the door slams behind Stephen, and he is locked out of his house. Yeah, I like this part. I like this part too because he asks, uh, he's he asks Cass where her keys are, and she's like, "Keys, keys. What do I need keys for? I don't know where my keys are." And he's like, "What?" Well, she goes, "Why would I need to know where my keys are?" And he's like, "Well, because." Everybody who has keys should know where their keys are. It was so, a very Mark line, I thought, that bit. Yeah, I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah. Um, this entire time, he's actually holding on the uh, the silverware carrier. You know, like in your washing or your dishwasher, how you have like the little yeah. thing that's yeah. just for your the silverware? Caddy. Yeah. Yeah. He's just carrying the silverware caddy with him. And he takes it to the into a, they go to a cafe and he takes it with him. So you have the next scene after this is you have Jeff, Cass, and Stephen at a cafe. Um, he's still got the little silverware caddy with him, which I really enjoy. You also find out that Lori is getting buried in a wicker coffin. Like, have you ever seen a wicker coffin? Is this something that's weird? Yeah, that's, it's really common over here. Oh, okay. Because the idea of a wicker coffin is like the strangest thing ever to me i'm sure it will come to you soon it's like it's meant to be like an eco alternative and they leave less carbon emission to burn if you're being cremated and they rot better if they're and obviously they take less to make so yeah they're like the eco alternative oh i was not aware of this my <laughs> my own grandmother was cremated in one uh, but it was it was it was one of those things where it raised a few eyebrows amongst older people, but it's definitely, it's more of a thing now. This was like 15 years ago, but now, I mean, everyone's getting buried in them. It's the new it thing to be buried in. Um, so there's another joke in this scene that I'm probably going to need you to explain to me. Who are Fred Perry and Andy Murray? So Andy Murray is our tennis guy at the moment. Do you remember we talked some time ago about Tim Hemben? Oh, in... um. Yeah, I can't remember which episode that was, but yeah. But yeah, yeah. so Tim Hemman used to be our big tennis guy, and then he retired. He was shit. And now we've got Andy Murray, who is Scottish, but still counts. He's still ours. And I think he's <laughs> currently, like, the British number three. No, sorry, the world number three. He was doing really well. He didn't win Wimbledon this year, but he mainly does. And so he's he's who he is. And then Fred Perry was like maybe the first man to ever win Wimbledon or the first British man to ever win Wimbledon in the 20s. And clearly the argument has been that uh, that Fred Perry was better than Andy Murray. I think that's the argument that Stephen had, but his dad clearly disagreed. Gotcha. Um, Jeff and Cass once again... Oh, and, uh, Stephen seems like surprised that his dad was still going on and on about the Fred Perry versus... Um, uh, Fred Perry versus Andy Murray debate even on his deathbed uh, Jeff and Cass leave the cafe and this woman walks over to Stephen who's they've been kind of making eyes at each other and she basically is like hey do you mind watching my dog for a minute <laughs> yeah and he's like oh yeah sure and so she steps away and uh, he's got this really funny part where he looks at the dog and he's like your mum's sexy well your owner, I haven't met your birth mother, although I'm sure she's lovely. <laughs> yeah, and um, we uh, we assume that she's going to come back for the dog, but again, this is setting up for something later on. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and then is this where the point at which, again, they nag him to go and see the body a bit more? Oh, that happened before they left, but yeah, they... Oh, yeah, they so him. he's thinking about it, and he maybe he says something out loud, and um, he orders... He asks the waiter if he's got some quite strong lager. <laughs> which really cracked me up. Um, um, and he pro- he proceeds to get shit-faced on the lager. Yeah. Um, we flash back to the airplane, and we can see that the crew member... Or the... Not the crew member, the passenger that was having the medical emergency... The passenger has died. Yeah. Um, and and uh, Andrew is like, oh, I just wish I could have done more. And the the cabin <laughs> crew member is like, well, you know, you did your you did your best. You did you you did more than anybody else did. And he goes, yeah, I just wish I could have done more. And she's like, well, you're the only one that stepped up. And it's funny because you see the actual doctor in the background, kind of giving Andrew like side eye evils. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and then it cuts to back to the cafe. Yeah, Stephen at this point has had about three cans of incredibly strong lager. He tries to leave from the cafe, but the employee that's there is like cleaning up and won't won't let him leave because of his dog. And he's like, "Oh, this isn't isn't my dog." And the guy's like, "Well, I don't know that that's your dog. Like, whose dog is it?" And he goes, "Oh, it's the sexy woman that was sitting over here." And he's like. Oh well, there's no other, there's nobody else here, and so then you find out that she has kind of pretty much just abandoned him with her puppy. Yeah, she's um she's bailed on him and he's left him with this dog who proceeds to piss all over everything. So that's clearly what why she's abandoned the dog. Yeah, uh, I know. I know. In your notes, you said this was probably your least favorite subplot of the entire series, and I will, I will uh, co-sign on that. That this this plot literally makes no sense it's unless they're going somewhere with the dog that i'm failing to see what is the point of the dog i didn't laugh i'm not amused it continues into the second episode didn't get it but maybe some people love the dog stuff yeah i i certainly didn't no not not for me um so then uh steven ends up making it over making his way over to the funeral home and of course, in classic kind of Mark, with his classic kind of Mark luck, he gets there right as the mortician is closing up the funeral home. Yeah. And he tries to convince the mortician to open back up so that he can see his dad. But, um, and the mortician is like, oh, well, yeah, that's fine. I guess I just need to call my wife and just let her know that we're going to be late for theater. And, you know, she's got a cane and doesn't get around very much and... <laughs> Oh, I just, I don't even remember the code for the alarm. Uh, I'd hate to type in the wrong code and have like five fire trucks, uh, you know, show up. And yeah, and Steven was... just feels really bad at this point and just is like, don't worry about it. Don't bother because yeah. I just feel bad. And I'd be looking at my dead dad whilst thinking about how you're late for the theater and the police are probably going to show up. So don't yeah. worry. Don't worry about it. Um, so we get a little amusing anecdote where um, he starts, he starts uh, talking to his dad and he starts kind of talking about Fred Perry and Andy Murray and (laughs) et cetera, et cetera. And then the dog just starts peeing all over the place again. And that pretty much just kills any conversation he was having with his dad. Yeah. 
he's he decides to leave. Yeah. Um... And so the next day we're at the funeral and the service has clearly already happened because Stephen is standing at the graveside uh, looking down at his father's wicker coffin in the hole and he's trying to tell his dad that he loves him. It's not really coming out properly in typical Mark fashion. He's kind of having the Mark... Stephen is having a similar Mark tongue-tied moment and he's um, he's trying to say that, you know, things aren't going to be the same without him but before he can quite get it together to sort of sort out his thoughts... Andrew appears and he stands next to him and turns to Stephen and says, I can't believe that dad is gone. Yeah. It's so funny. Um, just like, you can kind of see that, that Stephen is just about to get everything off of his chest, everything that he's wanted to say, all the emotion that people have been telling him to let loose. You can tell that he's just about to let loose with it. Yeah. He's almost there. So clearly almost almost there there with it. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, and then Andrew just kind of pops up and is like, "Oh, I'm I'm gonna I can't believe Dad is gone." And then Stephen is just like, uh, "My Dad is gone. Like, what the fuck?" And yeah, it, yeah, and this starts a running the a running joke throughout. Whenever so, whenever Stephen, um, whenever Andrew says Dad. Stephen says, yeah, my dad is. Uh, he's quite passive-aggressive about it. But Andrew puts his hand out and introduces himself as Andrew Donnelly, says that he was one of his foster brothers, apologises for interrupting Stephen in his monologue and says to continue. But he's standing really close to him and he's all up in his face and it's really awkward. So Stephen can't get it together. And Andrew says very concisely, bye, Dad, I will miss and love you forever, and walks off. And Stephen looks really upset because he's completely stolen his line. Yeah, that that really cracked me up when he's like, uh, "Bye, Dad. I will miss and love you forever." And he just says it was he just says it so earnestly. Yeah, because he's a sociopath. Yeah, because he's fucking crazy, man. <laughs> um, then we get like a little cut for. Uh, I'm imagining there would be like a commercial break at this point. I think this was is where the adverts were. Yeah. Yeah, and then when it comes back, uh, Stephen and Andrew are just kind of. They're walking from the grave to the John Barleycorn for the wake. Um, Andrew says that he popped into the pub on his way there. Steven's like, oh, how do you like the refurb? And Andrew's like, oh, my God, I can't wait to do a refurb to get rid of that tired old pine. When was the last time it was refurbed? And Andrew or Steven is just like, well, it was refurbed just last week. And then he kind of changes his tune and is like, oh, well, I'm sure I just didn't get a good look at it. <laughs> yeah. And uh, that was very awkward for everyone involved. And then Andrew hands Stephen a massive Toblerone and tells Stephen, oh, I know this was your favourite. And Stephen's like, looks at him funny. And then Andrew says in like a robot voice, which is reminiscent of the advertising campaign for Toblerone, this is the Toblerone zone. Yeah. uh, This is the Toblerone zone. (laughs) And then we we get a... uh, Go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, we get a flashback at this point. And one thing that I really like about the flashbacks is that whenever Andrew is talking about something that happened in the past, and I say flashback, um, I guess we're not really, you know, it could be a lie, but it could be a flashback too. But um, whenever Andrew is talking about his flashbacks, he always mentioned his flashbacks are always 
really brightly colored. There's usually like happy music. Yeah, Wham is playing in the background of this yeah. one. It's very upbeat. Yeah, it's very upbeat, and they're in a they're in. Um, Andrew and Stephen are basically in bunk beds, and um, then Lori walks in, and he's like, "Oh, who wants to go take a ride in my shiny red car?" And they're like, "We do." Yay! Yeah, he asks, "Who wants to go to Chessington World of Adventures?" And they're like, "Yeah, we do." Oh and yeah, eating Ch- yeah, yeah. I couldn't remember what the name of it was. Yeah. <laughs> and they're eating Toblerone. And yeah, and like you say, it's all very upbeat and very brightly coloured and 80s and exciting. Um, But then we get the the flashback, the same flashback from Steven's perspective and it's grey and it's raining and he's just eating some generic chocolate bar and his dad, instead of asking about Chessington, tells Stephen to help him clear the beer lines because they're really mouldy or something horrible. It's an awful sounding job. And then says... Don't eat chocolate in your bedroom, son. This is the real world, not the vino, which made me laugh a lot. Okay, so I've heard a lot of people mention that that was their favorite joke from this episode. It literally made no sense to me. Um, so the vino is like a comic that was is popular. Well, it was when I was a child, anyway. I, don't, I think they still publish it. Um, you know, like do you know Dennis the Menace? Mm-hmm. And yeah, so Dennis the Menace was like the main cartoon in the vino, and it. Was yeah, it's a it's a cartoon, a comic strip cartoon paper that came out oh, every week. Oh, okay, okay. So he's basically saying this is the real world, not a cartoon. Yeah. yeah. Okay, okay. And the Beano was like always; they were always getting into adventures, and they one of the one of the strips was the Bash Street Kids, and they went to this school where they were always having adventures and getting into scrapes and stuff, and it was basically just how you wanted your childhood to be, but how it never was. <laughs> um. The next scene that we get, they, uh, Stephen and Andrew have made it to the wake. And this is kind of where we really start to see some of Andrew's kind of like two-faced and duplicity and all that stuff. Because you see him talking to Ellen about homeopathy. And he's very pro-homeopathy. And Ellen mentions that the, <clears throat> that the homeopathic drugs did more to help Lori than when they were pumping him full of morphine. <laughs> yeah, and he's like, yeah, well, of course, you know, that people are just cynical about these things, and he's really, really agreeing with Evan. Um, and fair enough, but as we think fair enough, that's his opinion. And then we move on, there's a bit in the middle where um, we meet Alison, who's Stephen's ex-wife, and Tom, who's her partner, and... Stephen's passing around the sausage rolls, and he there's some there's some humour centering around him being allergic to dogs. They think he's crying, and they say, "Oh, it's good to let it all out," but he's actually just allergic to this dog. Yeah. And um, Tom makes a joke about men walking dogs and how men it's emasculating to to walk a, a little dog like this dog. Yeah. And even and says even for someone your height, Stephen, and just totally <laughs> totally punctures his male ego. Um, and deflates him, so we see that Tom... I think don't think Tom's a cop. Tom seems like quite a nice guy, but you can see there's some sort of rivalry there. Maybe maybe Stephen's still in love with Alison a bit or something. See, I, I, I feel genuinely that Tom is, is nice, but that he does not realise when he's saying something like that how emasculating it... I, I, like, I don't think he does anything to... Steven that's particularly emasculating, but it's a lot of like small things that yeah, he does. Yeah. 
I think it's just maybe that Tommy's so masculine as an alpha male that he doesn't get that he's belittling Stephen, who's yeah. so not alpha male, who's so beta male. Um, but then on the other side of this scene, the next scene with Andrew, um, he is then talking about how he's talking, is he talking to Cass or is he talking to someone else about homeopathy? He's like, oh shit. Yeah, he's, he's talking like, to Cass about ho- yeah. how homeopathy, homeopathy is just like complete <laughs> bullshit. Yeah, and they just sugar pills. So it's like, that's when we see, oh my God, Andrew is a lunatic. He will just say whatever to get people to like him. Yeah. Um, Jeff has his Jeff has his iPad hooked up to Bluetooth speakers. And he's using the Bluetooth speakers as his way of like playing music for everybody. Yeah. Um, Ellen comes outside and sees Andrew and says, or excuse me, and says that Andrew was her favorite foster child. Uh, we also find out that Lori had a Facebook page that Stephen was completely unaware about, and yeah. um, that, and then uh, we also find out that in his life, Andrew has done the following things: he ran a cafe in Sydney, he was an interior designer in Lisbon, a photographer, a pro- a property developer, and he managed a reggae band, but they were more heavy ska. <laughs> Yeah, so this is the the list of his CV to date that we find out about. Yeah, and I really I really enjoyed your tweet about heavy scar because you just <laughs> yeah didn't really I know was what... tweeting in a hurry and I spelled scar like a burn scar and got absolutely burnt myself on Twitter. So <laughs> that's what happens when you tweet quickly. <laughs> but then in as a reverse to this, we then find out that Stephen has been less than successful in his life. He went to university and became a lawyer, but he was forced to resign for some unknown reason, unknown reason. But he is keen to stress that most people got the significant sum of money back. Yep. Um, and and everyone sort of just looks a bit sad for him that he's such an inadequate compared to Andrew. Yeah. Yeah. It's super funny. Like you just see the complete, for all of Andrew's successes, you get the failures that is Steven, you know? Yeah. Uh, and this is also the scene we forgot to mention where um, Jam mentions that Vinyl is making a comeback and Jeff responds only for cunts, which you said you howled at and I absolutely oh, couldn't oh catch my, my breath. How... I was laughing so much. I cannot believe we fucking skipped that line. But yeah, they, they're they talking about getting the music through the Bluetooth speakers and um, uh, Jeff is just like amazed at how easy it is to play music now. And um, Jan says... Yeah, vinyl records are even making a comeback, and Jeff just says, yeah, for cunts, which I thought was so goddamn funny. So true as well. So true. Hipsters everywhere. Now, I don't necessarily, like, it's it's funny because I actually know some people who are interested in, or who listen to vinyl, um, and I don't think they're cunts, but I definitely can see where Jeff is coming from. Yeah, there's a few, there's a few cunt vinyl people out there let's say oh it just sounds better you hear the clicks and <laughs> pops so i am um, so i'm a massive morrissey fan and um he is famously very miserable and my husband's uncle is also a massive morrissey fan um more age appropriate for him because he was in his teens when the swifts were huge and He's got this big thing about who only listens to the Queen is Dead on vinyl because it's just such a melancholy record that you can really hear it. And it's like, come on, get a grip. We've all we've all got we've all got iPhones now. You can play it through that. It's 
Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm not saying that you're a cunt, Rob. I'm just saying it's a cunt thing to say. That's, <laughs> let's just put it that way, shall we? Um, also, towards the end of this scene, well, I guess the actual end of this scene is somebody comes in and says, you know, oh my God, I think your dog is dying. And um, so the next scene we get, we get Stephen and Allison and they're at the vet's office. And Allison is, you know, like, oh, so do you remember Andrew? Do you remember him? And... They basically say, uh, Stephen basically says, oh, there were so many foster kids, I can't remember the whole lot of them, kind of like the sugar babes. Um, <laughs> yeah, and uh, and this is like the seed of, for us as the viewer of, mm, is Andrew telling the truth? This was the first time that that was sort of in my head. I was like, oh, okay, was he even really there? Yeah. Um, the vet comes out and tells... Stephen that the dog that Stephen doesn't even fucking own and has no interest in uh, potentially has Pymetra, which is an infection of the uterus. To be sure, they need to do a $300 scan and then if she does have Pymetra, they have it's a $1,200 plus VAT procedure. It's not dollars, my friend. It's pounds and that's a lot more expensive in pounds as well. Oh, did I say dollars? I meant pounds. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, that's, the exchange rate is terrible at the moment, and that's going to cost you far more than uh, fifteen hundred dollars would. Yeah, it was like it's. <laughs> I I bet I bet it was like I bet it'd be close to like two grand. Um, yeah, it's a it's it's a crazy amount of money to spend on a dog. Anyway, let's put it that way. Yeah, uh, Stephen is like, oh, are there any alternatives? And she says, oh, we could euthanize it for fifty pounds plus VAT. <laughs> oh, actually, what I like is yeah. she just says fifty pounds, and then. Stephen goes, the dog. Fuck the dog. Come on. Like, like the music, lad. Um, Super yeah, 17. Yeah, and we're all... One guy didn't put on glitter. Gary Glitter. Paul Francis Gaddis. Right. right. For obvious so reasons. Do you want to know what I'd do to Peter? Yeah, no, I don't. I would burn them. So, um, um, Allison, yeah, I really don't want this discussion, Jeff. Not right now. I would happily pull the lever. What lever? And but where does a lever come into burning someone alive? Maybe the lever tips the petrol over them while simultaneously floor. striking a match. So this is some sort of Wilf Lund contraption for incinerating humans? Ah, they're not human, though. That's the whole fucking thing. Do you want to know what I'd do to people who batter old folk? Drown them? Yeah, I would. Happily pull the lever. Yeah, a lot easier to see how a lever might work in that scenario. Mm. What is this? What's your game? There's no game, I promise you. Is this a con? Is it a Martin Guerre thing? You've assumed this guy's identity? The time I lived here was the best five months of my life. It made me able to go out and, all modesty aside, conquer the world. You really have put modesty quite a long way over to the side there. But for all my success, I feel there's something missing. I need to plug back into the mothership. This, here is the closest thing to a family I've ever had. You. Dad. Shut up! For fuck's sake, stop calling him Dad! Th yeah, this man is my dad, okay? Not yours. I feel I've hit a nerve. He wasn't your dad. He, he, he was my fucking dad. My dead fucking dad. And, and you can't appropriate him. However many fucking countries you've lived in, you massive fucking orphan. Fuck it all to hell. Message deleted. Fuck. No, what have I done? How do I get it back? <laughs> Pull the lever. <laughs> I love this whole thing. I love that Jeff is clearly a Daily Mail reading. 
you know, old man, but I can't hate him for it. I just really enjoy this whole thing about, you know, I'd pull the lever, I hate pedos. Who likes pedos? Come on, like, <laughs> it's really made me laugh. I actually looked up Gary Glitter, too, because of this, and was like, oh, what a fucking crazy man. Oh, yeah, he was he was a bad guy. We don't, we don't talk about him anymore. Oh, okay, well... Uh, is it Fun fact about Gary Glitter, he, um, I don't know if you ever saw the Spice Girls movie, but he originally was a prominent part of the Spice Girls movie and um, played like their dance instructor at some boot camp and there was a massive bit, like like literally half an hour of footage had to be cut because he was arrested about three weeks before the release of the Spice Girls movie. Oh my god, that is crazy. Yeah, so if you ever watch it, it doesn't completely make sense. Like there's a bit in the middle where there's a they go to dance boot camp, but they haven't got a teacher, and it's like it's been done in a hurry, and that's because Gary Glitter had to be cut out of it quite heavily. Oh my god, that's so fucked. Um, <laughs> but you see, kind of another little common thread here, which is Andrew. Andrew tells Ellen, you know, hey, we accidentally deleted the. I accidentally deleted the voicemail, and Ellen is just, oh, that's okay. It didn't even really sound like him. He sounded sick, and you know. Um, He's calling her Ellen, and she just looks at him, and she says, call me mum like you used to. And Stephen just pretty much has enough at this point, and he just says, no, mom, it was me that deleted the voicemail. And she's just like, oh, Stephen, deleting a dead man's last voicemail. And it's, <laughs> you'll see kind of, again, like we've said a couple times, you see kind of that trend. Um, yeah, Andrew, you get away with anything. Yeah. Um, so then towards the end, so the end of the episode, they're all downstairs, they're all downstairs, and Andrew is just basically, or Steven is like, I need to have a family conversation. He asks Jeff to leave. Jeff takes his iPad with him, which, remember, is still connected to the Bluetooth speakers, and they start to have a conversation, and Cass says, um, talks to Andrew, and she says something about a festival music festival with four stages and steven is just like yeah sounds like cancer um <laughs> yeah that really made me laugh that bit yeah um and then uh before they can really get anything going jeff apparently has decided to take this opportunity to go take care of himself by watching pornographic movies on his ipad but yeah, he sound... says he's going to the loo, and yeah. he takes the iPad with him. But the sound is coming through the Bluetooth speakers, so it's just like, you just hear this woman, like, moaning and just saying, like, <laughs> totally fucking obscene things. So, it's really funny. Yeah, yeah, it is very amusing. Um, and that is the end of the episode, I believe. Yeah. Um, I thought the first episode was pretty good. It wasn't... Good setup. Yeah. yeah, I thought it was great how we got to know all the characters quite swiftly. I would say within seven minutes if that we knew exactly what everyone's deal was and we're ready to go forward it was good good setup yeah um and then in the the next episode it starts with steven waking up and he is trying to pour some wine back into a wine bottle but then just says fuck it and just drinks it like chugs this like half full glass of wine which again just reiterates that he probably has a drinking problem <laughs> Yeah, it genuinely made me feel sick. Like, the thought of drinking a massive glass of red wine when you first woken up, like, to be honest, the thought of chugging a glass of red wine at any time is no one's threat. Like, that's horrible. That would that would make me immediately sick, probably. But to do it first thing in the morning, he has a problem. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Um, he goes downstairs and he's going to take care of the dog and the dog has just like shit all over the room and he just looks really, really fucking upset about that. Um, and he's putting He makes on... a funny comment about the, being like a mental patient on Grand Designs, um, which particularly made me laugh because here in the UK, this airs directly after Grand Designs, which is a terrible fucking program anyway, <laughs> but is like everyone on it is a mental patient anyway. So that got a big laugh and there was quite a lot of chat on Twitter about, did they do that on purpose? Did they know it was going to air after Grand Designs? Oh, that's awesome. That is fucking so funny. Uh, that's a really good joke right there. I appreciate that more now. Um, <laughs> he uh, Then the next scene we get, this is kind of the main, this next part is kind of the main plot of this episode where Ellen is at a church and the priest comes over and starts talking to Ellen and um, this priest, his name is Julian. They just start having kind of a casual conversation about was Jesus tall um, you know, how tall was he? And I was really hoping that she was going to ask, do you think he had a cat? I was absolutely, I like, had everything crossed for that, but it didn't happen. What, why did you think that? Because in Peep Show, when, uh, in the dinner party episode in season oh, nine, when, Jesus Christ, when Jez yeah. is like, did Jesus oh. have a cat? I was like, please ask if he had a cat. But no, she just talks about him, be the Jesus time people being really short. Oh, God damn. Yeah. I forgot all about that. <laughs> <laughs> but she said something about how medieval people must have been short because of the doorways, which is a myth anyway. But but she says, oh, Jesus time people must have been really small. And he's like, I don't think they were. And she's like, no, not small like Playmobile people, but, you know, shorter. Like and jockeys. the priest just, like jockeys, yeah. And the vicar just gives a short shrift and is like, shut up, you mental. Yeah, and then, uh, and then he kind of, he, the priest says that he is going to have a full English. And... Uh, and then Ellen is just like, ooh, naughty, naughty, you're not getting into heaven. And he's like, no, no, I am getting to heaven. Like, literally, I'm the only person that's guaranteed to get into heaven. Yeah, I'm definitely going to be there. Um, back at the John Bar Barleycorn, we get the will reading. And this will reading really cracked me up because it it literally takes every sort of, like, trope that you ever see in TV shows when it comes to will readings where it's like, Oh, do you know why we're all gathered here? And it just completely mocks like every stereotypical thing you ever see with a will reading. Yeah. It's very funny. And, um, it becomes clear that, uh, Andrew has been left something. He's been left 5% of the business, which is, pisses Stephen off but the Jeff has been left nothing and it's not a particularly funny line but the actor managed to manages to deliver it really well yeah he goes uh after they say that Ellen has 45 percent of the pub and Stephen and Cass have 25 percent each Stephen just says hey isn't that 95 percent and Jeff goes oh I make it at 105 percent and Stephen just goes <laughs> really and Jeff is like, well, I don't know. I lost track since it became clear that I wasn't going to get fuck all. <laughs> yeah, it was really funny. Um, and then Cass asks Andrew if it says something about his B&B and it becomes clear that where he's staying is pretty grim. So that sets up something else that then happens. Um, when Andrew finds out that he's got 5% of the John Barley corn, he says that he's humble you know, that or, uh, Ellen says, tells everybody that um, Lori wanted Andrew to help kind of 
do the transition of the business and Andrew says that he's humble and proud and Steven points out like you can't be humble and proud they're complete opposites so I that just yeah really this is part up. of Steven's uh, nitpicking over Andrew and just everyone but particularly Andrew Burns. yeah um, we also get a, a, another scene of Ellen and Julian the priest walking and they're walking through like a graveyard and I just want to play this scene because the scene is super funny um, and it kind of explains Julian's character, like, really in-depth. I think Jesus Christ, um, peace be upon him, uh, is... We don't tend to say that. That's the... We just don't say it. Oh. Well, I think Jesus Christ, best wishes be to him, is the logical next step in my spiritual journey. Yeah, paganism, self-hypnosis, sprigs of rosemary down your pants will only take you so far. You need some red meat with your aduki beans. And that's Jesus. The church is very pleased to welcome you, Ellen. I do like the idea of eternal life. And it's only possible through Christ. Everyone else is damned. Even a tiny baby is damned to hell if it dies unbaptized. You can work for 60 years feeding the poor, healing the sick, giving every ounce of yourself for the service of others. But unless you accept Christ as your savior, you'll burn in agony for all eternity. And deserve to. You're quite hardline, aren't you? There's only one truth, Ellen. I'm not going to lie about it. Yeah, what about people in remote tribes who don't know about Jesus? Elkburn, quite rightly. They know. Even the Amazon tribes can get 4G these days. And will Laurie burn? Yes, he will. Uh, <laughs> he is very hardline priest. Like, my wife has said that the whole thing about baptized babies going to hell is bullshit, which... I think it depends what kind of denomination you are, because... So I went to a Catholic sick form, and they were... I did RA A-level taught by a priest and man they believe some crazy shit like no offense to anyone listening who's catholic but the the more old-fashioned catholics believe some mad stuff and i was taught ethics by an old italian man who was twice as mad as the priest and he <laughs> had really like really hardline views about contraception and about how if you used a condom it was essentially as bad as abortion and he had this whole like i remember him drawing on the board this whole like hierarchy of purgatory and hell and where people that use condoms were going and it was like man you're crazy crazy town so if he's like an old-fashioned catholic priest then maybe he is that hard line but i don't think you're going to find many of those people in the anglican church which is what i assume he is he seems so young the priest seems so young too i laughed at the line about um the whole like jesus christ peace be upon him best wishes be to him thing and Quite a bit of the, the Vickers stuff made me laugh, but I will say that I found him slightly irritating the way he played. Uh, I just thought he was an asshole. Yeah, I thought he was a dick, but not in like a funny way, just in like a dick way. And I don't know if that was <laughs> the way he was played or the way he was written, but I don't know something about him. I wasn't really, I wasn't finding it as funny as I could be because he was leaving a weird taste in my mouth. Maybe it was just because... I was taught by a mad Catholic priest and I was remembering that, but I don't know. I thought that there could have been more humor there and it, it wasn't as funny as it could have been. Yeah. Um, we get, uh, we get to see Allison's office and, <laughs> uh, this part really fucking cracked me up. So forgive me if this is out of line. Well, I, hold on. We'll, we'll get, we'll get there in a second. Um, Allison is, like, laying on the ground with her legs elevated, and Steven is really upset about the 5% that Andrew has. 
And Allison is playing right into Steven's desires to do detective work, and she's going to Google the shit out of him. Um, you know, she says that they can be like a little, um, a little uh, uh, detective duo. Detective duo. And he's like, yeah, team us, etc. And he asks her why she's laying on the ground like this, and she says it's because um, Tom was just there, and they just had sex, and she's got to lay like this to uh, keep keep the stuff in. Is this true? Like, is this is this like how women have to lay to? I mean, I just assumed that nature just took its course, whether you were standing up or laying it's a, down. It's a widely regarded. It may be a myth, but it's definitely widely regarded. I've had two children. I did it both times, much to the amusement of my husband in the room both times. But I've spoken to friends who also definitely did. Yeah, it's yeah, everyone's doing it. Was <laughs> oh my god! I just had this. I just had the scene of Peep Show where Sophie's laying like that, and Mark's like, "Yeah, why are you laying like that? Stop laying like that." <laughs> The doctors, the doctors tell you to do it. So my elder daughter, I had a bit of trouble becoming pregnant with her. I was, we were trying for about six months and I went to the doctors because I was a bit worried. I was only 28 and I thought, you know, probably should mention this to someone. And that was the first thing she said was, have you been putting your legs up after sex? So it is, it's, it's true. I don't know if it's true, but everyone thinks it's true. Everyone's telling everyone to do it. Yeah. All right. Well. You... I'm not sure you'd be doing it in your office. I'm not sure that would work because presumably at some point she's got to get up again. Yeah. And I thought the point was you did it and then laid down for like 12 hours. Whereas she's surely at some point got to get up and do some typing, I would have thought. Yeah. Um, she talks about how her ovulation schedule is very, um, very specific. Very precise. Yeah. <laughs> yeah to the minute. Yeah. And uh, she says that she wants to have a Team Us meeting for the next day. But she has to be done by 8 p.m. so she can go have sex with Tom. Yeah. Um, and Stephen looks sad about that. So, again, yeah. another another clear indication that he still loves her. Yeah. Um, back at the John Barleycorn, we have Julian, the priest, and he's playing pool with Andrew. And Ellen is there and Stephen is there. And Ellen is talking about how Julian does a lot of drug outreach work. Surprise, no surprise, Andrew has also done a lot of drug outreach work with voice and movement. Um, in Berlin. Yeah, in in Berlin. Um, yeah, I mean, did he? But yeah, that's what that's what he's told him. And um, Ellen then asks the vicar, Julian, to baptize her there and then. And Andrew <laughs> then gets in on it. And Jeff then gets in on it and everyone's suddenly getting baptized. And Stephen's just like, don't baptize me. Yeah, don't baptize me. Don't baptize me. And uh... I, I made a note here, actually, of that this is the second time on screen that we've seen Robert Webb be uh, baptized. Is this a record? I couldn't think of any other actor who has been baptized twice so prominently on TV. So there you go. He's definitely going to heaven. When was the other time that he was baptized? In um oh in season five of Peep Show when they're at uh Life O Eight. Oh goddamn, yeah, right. Good I I'm sorry, for some reason I was thinking David Mitchell. I was like, yeah, I don't... no, he gets he gets yeah. he gets dunked in the paddling yeah, yeah, pool, yeah, doesn't that's he? Right, yeah, that's right. yeah. So and I thought, yeah, that's pretty niche. I bet there's not too many actors who have <laughs> been so prominently baptized on telly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he's Stephen's not into it, refusing to get baptized. Yeah. Um, 
next we see the caravan behind the John Barleycorn, and Stephen is really, really into this caravan thing. And, um, you know, he's like, oh, this is a good size. And the can you explain the Trevor Ellis joke or Trevellis joke? I, oh, so Trevellis is a place in the West Country, and he's saying, are you from Trevellis? Are you... Are you um, do you have a lot of t- spend a lot of time in Trevelis and and the guy's just like no, no no and then it turns out that it's just an abbreviation of his name. Yeah, my name is Trevor Ellis, and then yeah. Stephen is like, oh, that's good, that's good, uh, clever Trevor. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, and then everyone, the whole family, come to see it, um, and no one's quite as enthusiastic as he is, are they? Nope, uh, they all just kind of seem less than impressed with the caravan and. But Andrew is like, yeah, yeah, I'm on board with this. But before we get on board with this, I've had my own idea. Um, and Oh, is this the point at which as well Jeff says, Jeff calls it a hutch. And he's like, you can't like this hutch. Yes. That really made me laugh. Yeah, you, yeah. Can't, you can't wee in a hutch. You can't cook breakfast <laughs> you in a hutch. you got fry an egg in a hutch. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I interrupted you. Yeah. Um, so before, before he can get his idea out, it turns out that Andrew's got an idea. Yeah. And let's go ahead and listen to Andrew's idea. We hold a food festival in the field. Come with me. <gasps> Pop-up street food stalls, an airstream serving great grilled cheese. Oh, I like a bit of grilled cheese. Cold cheese on toast. Tent selling local produce, you know, rare breed pulled pork, a vodka jelly kiosk, uh, raw milk cheeses, a Ferris wheel, falconry, a dim sum workshop. I might be able to get a Spitfire to fly over. <gasps> and we call it the Snack and Field event. Brilliant name. It's just a pun. And we end it with fireworks and a set by Coldplay. Fucking hell, that sounds amazing. I was joking about that last bit. Oh, so, fucking hell, the rest of it still sounds amazing. Can I just say, raw milk cheeses, you're playing with fire. They can cause pregnant women to miscarry. That's a 20 grand lawsuit minimum. Well, I love this idea. It's a thrilling and wonderfully exciting idea. <sighs> as is Stephen's static caravan and septic tank proposal. But let's try the food festival first. Only if you're sure. I mean, I might make a massive cock up of the whole thing. You won't. No chance. You're brilliant. I love how <laughs> I love how enthused Cass is about Coldplay. I just wanted super I just wanted super hands to just come out of nowhere. Uh, is it Coldplay or now, is it Coldplay or Radiohead? It's Coldplay. Okay. But I've seen Coldplay and I will say that, you know, they are a boring band, but they, they put on a great light show, so they would really work at a at a like a food festival. Yeah, Coldplay was just in Kansas City not too long ago. Oh were they? Yeah, like their big thing is that they put on this tremendous light show and when we saw we saw them at the Emirates in North London and they have um they gave out like these wristbands and then at certain points in the concert the wristbands all glowed like one colour. I don't know how they did it. It must have been like radio controlled or something. But so during yellow, they were all yellow and the whole stadium went yellow and it was amazing. So that would work brilliantly at this event. Dude, that sounds fucking amazing. It was it was awesome. It was it wasn't the best gig I've ever been to musically, but as a spectacle, it was amazing. Wow, that sounds absolutely incredible. Mm. Um Meanwhile, back at later that evening at the John Barleycorn, Allison and Stephen are sitting down at a table, and Allison says that they've been she's been doing a little sleuthing. Um, Andrew or Stephen points out that Andrew went off the grid for eighteen months and is you know like let's see what we can figure out about those missing eighteen months, and they start to speculate mm-hmm. that maybe he was a serial fracker 
just fracking his way across <laughs> France? Or yeah. um, was it intercontinental kitty diddler or something like that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But then they say, no, the sentence is too short for him to be a pedo. Yeah. Um, but just as they are discussing this in more detail, Andrew um, joins them and lets them know that he's found a great deal on a Ferris wheel. <laughs> and they we get another flashback here where Andrew remembers um, this massive fun encounter at a fun fair. But then Stephen's in re remembering of it is quite different and it's dark and he's been sick on himself. <laughs> and eventually, like, we see three rotations of the Ferris wheel. The first time he's looking green. The second time he's been sick on himself. And the third time he's been sick on his dad. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, uh, Stephen says that he remembers being scared of the Ferris wheel. And Andrew says sometimes being scared can be fun and... Then Stephen says, oh, my entire life must be a fucking carnival. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then the man who's come to meet um, the the Andrew for the Ferris wheel talk comes in and he leaves his phone unlocked on the table of the pub. This part really cracked me up, too, where Andrew or uh, Stephen has no fucking idea how to use an Android phone and just yeah. inadvertently takes a picture of himself because that's the way I am with my buddy's iPhone. I've like, yeah, I've, see, I've got an iPhone, and I'm the same with Android. I don't, I don't understand how that stuff works. Yeah, I have no concept on how to use a fucking iPhone. No, um, so yeah, he accidentally takes a photograph of himself. I thought this was a bit stupid because it comes up later, and you would have thought he knew he took the photo, he would have deleted it. But then, well, Allison maybe tells him, Allison tells him to delete it, and he's just like, oh, yeah. I don't know how to delete it. Yeah, so stupid, but I suppose sets up. A later scene yeah and then andrew comes back and tells them that he's got a great deal on this ferris wheel takes his phone walks away yeah and then Stephen and allison are kind of getting close aren't they yeah and they have a it, it looks like they might be about to i don't know talk about the feelings or i don't know something might have happened but then yeah, she puts her hand on she just puts her hands <laughs> on his and then he just looks at her and he goes you got to go have sex with tom yeah which is ridiculous like don't tell her that but it made me start thinking about why have they why did they split up she must have left him and i think so but why is she still in his life i guess she's a nice person i maybe this will be explored later on maybe we'll find out more about this but i'm rooting for allison and steven i want them to get back together yeah me too me too um one other little thing that we forgot to mention in the initial scene where the crew comes to the caravan is that um, Stephen agrees to live in the caravan so that Andrew can um, move into the apartment oh, yeah, above of course. the John yeah. Barleycorn. Yeah, so the seed of this has been, I think we mentioned earlier on, that Cass says, oh, it must be horrible being in the caravan, and Andrew's like, mm, oh no, being in the B&B, &B. and Andrew's like, yeah, it's a bit grim. And so this has been like a seed to get him into the house, and yeah, he goes to stay in the caravan. Yeah. So the next scene we get, we have Andrew moving into the home and um, Ellen, Julian and Andrew come into the caravan to see Stephen. Um, <laughs> Stephen is trying to, what is he trying to do? Like boil an egg or something? He's just trying to boil some water, but he says it's been on for 10 minutes and he's like, put a cover on it. You know, I'm going to lose 10 minutes of boil time. Yeah. And then um, the vicar comes in and puts his fingers in it and is like, that isn't even warm. Like, there's no warmth in that one. Yeah. yeah, and then, uh, and then he, then Julian attempts to like baptize Stephen in the caravan, and um, Stephen has this really funny line where he's just like, "Keep your Christ fingers away from me." <laughs> yeah, um, uh, which made me laugh a lot. 
again because I don't know why everyone's so intent on baptizing Stephen, but he really doesn't want it. No, it really cracks me up. That whole like keep your Christ fingers away from me like really made me laugh. Um, the next scene we get, we get to see the big snack and field event and. Um, the snack and field event is kind of the main thrust of the show. Yeah. Um, it actually looks pretty fun. Like I, I fucking would looks, go looks to it. Looks great. Like we go to quite a lot of food festivals and I've seen some great ones and I've seen some lame ones and this looked like a really good one. Yeah. It looked awesome. Uh, we get this part where, um, where everybody, Steven walks out of his caravan. It looks like that they put the snack and field literally on the next day did you kind of get that vibe too yeah i thought oh that's a bit soon but i thought well you know it could be two weeks later i suppose we you know there's no sort of time frame but i agree with you that it did seem like it was immediate yeah yeah it just seemed like it was like an immediate turnaround on the snack and field um so um, the first thing that happens is that Steven goes and he gets a grilled cheese sandwich and everybody kind of forces him to eat a grilled cheese sandwich, even though he doesn't really want to eat a grilled cheese sandwich. But then when he eats it, he's like, oh, my God, this is amazing. And yeah, he's proper against it, I think, just because they're calling it grilled cheese. Yeah. Um, and but when he does it, he's like, how have you made that so delicious? Yeah. And uh, there's this really funny part where they say that it's the best grilled cheese this side of new york city and then Cass starts just talking about how awesome new york city is and and steven's like you've never even been to new york city like the fuck do you know about new york city (laughs) yeah and um and then uh they sort of andrew and steven wander away from the main little gang of people and they're just chatting and andrew says oh, she misses you, you know, she misses you. And Stephen thinks that Andrew's sort of talking about Alison because clearly this is what he's on his mind. And he goes to agree with him, but then Andrew makes it clear he's talking about the dog mm-hmm. because he says it's because she can't smell you. Yeah. And the moment... Um, I, he says something like, I've tried to take over, I've tried to... Uh, um, I'm no substitute yeah. for you. I've tried to comfort yeah, her, yeah, but I'm yeah, no I've substitute tried to for her. you. Which yeah, is, thank you. I couldn't remember yeah, exactly what he said. Yeah. Which he says very pointedly. So, you know, we know that he's trying to be... In life, he is going to try and be a substitute for Steven now. Yeah. Um, and then... Uh, as this is going on, Steven all of a sudden realizes that there's, like, a long line of people in front of the caravan, using the caravan as a bathroom. Yeah, they're using the toilet in it, and he says it's not a toilet and someone says someone in the line is like well everyone's been using the toilet and um and he's like no this is my this is where I, my home this is where i sleep and um uh, their people continue to use it as a portaloo anyway yeah and uh no he tells him to go use the john barley bathroom because then he's got a oh of course yeah, yeah then he's that's got right a... and then he goes into the caravan yeah to mop and he it says up. that yeah he says it's ruined from the smell um and he's he's upset and gets a mop yeah, as he's cleaning out the caravan, though, Tom comes over to him, which, just to reminder, Tom is Allison's um, whatever partner. Boyfriend, yeah. yeah. And he, he asks Stephen, basically, if they can use the caravan to have sex. Yeah, he says they've been they've miscalculated the ovulation calculator, and her ovaries are about to go off now, so we need to have sex right now in the caravan. Okay, so I timed from the from the second that Tom closes the door to the second that the caravan starts rocking, I 
timestamp this, okay? <laughs> All right. How many seconds? Oh well. Uh, uh, hold on. Well, never mind. Um, but uh, I know how many seconds because it's in your notes, which I can see. But I wouldn't have thought it was as quick as that. Yeah. Um, so Tom also asks uh, Stephen to guard the caravan while they're having sex so that nobody just walks into the caravan. And um, Stephen is like, yeah, that's fine. And then Tom says something like, oh, don't worry. Or, or, uh, and then Stephen's like, oh, don't worry. I won't listen. I can't hear you. She's quiet anyways. And Tom is just like, oh, really? She's quiet? And <laughs> Yeah. Poor Stephen. Stephen's like, wah, wah, wah. <laughs> so he closes um, the door. And then 15 seconds later, the caravan starts rocking. Like That's pretty impressive. That's pretty impressive that he, that they can get down to it in that short time span. I, it takes me 15 seconds to take my clothes off. Like, Yeah, it, 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 definitely. I've, I mean, I've, I've got arthritis and I'm, you know, there's, there's hooks and eyes to consider. It would take me considerably longer than 15 <laughs> seconds to get my clothes off. There's absolutely no way that's possible, but... I'm glad that that's what that's why you're here. You, that this is what you're bringing to the podcast is is counting the seconds between uh, doors closing and and copulation starting. Well, I I thought it was longer than that. I thought it was like a minute. So yeah, if you'd asked me, I would have thought it was longer. But I guess in the context of you've got to keep the scene moving, it makes sense that it was so fast. But that's pretty funny. But yeah, it is funny too because you hear Allison and she's like she's like kind of moaning and stuff like that. So. Um, this poor Steven is like, he's got a bottle of wine in his hand. He's standing in front of this caravan while his ex-wife is just getting like pounded by this other guy <laughs> and he's just drinking this bottle of wine. And then Jan, she ever eternal optimist, Jan walks over and she starts talking to him about the grilled cheese. And he's just like, Jan, shut the fuck up and leave me alone. <laughs> Yeah, she says, oh, it's great this. It must be like all your Christmases have come at once. And he says, yeah, if by wildly disorientating, you mean all my Christmases have come at once. Yes, it is. And then asks her to just fuck off. Yeah. Um, so then we get back to the John Barleycorn and Stephen is, is doing the math and he realizes that they have indeed lost money on this endeavor Everybody is perfectly fine with that because they said they made money on goodwill and all this kind of stuff. And he's just like, uh, and his mom is just like, we're just going to agree to disagree. And he's like, you can't agree to disagree on facts. Like, it's, you know, it's not, it's how, not possible. Yeah, it's not possible. Uh, at that point, Andrew walks in and he says, you know, oh, dear, I fear we might have not made any money we might have cocked this up a little bit i'm sorry and um ellen is just like oh that's okay you know not a big deal um again just showing that when steven says something they react a certain way to it but then when andrew says the exact same thing again they don't really seem to care um yeah and so andrew then says he's gonna go to bed and like shortly after Stephen says he's going to go as well. But as he does, his mum sort of wipes some hair out of his face and it becomes clear that <laughs> she's still trying to baptize him on the down low. Yeah, he says, are your fingers wet? Like, <laughs> what the hell? Like, are you trying to baptize me? And then he has this really uh, funny thing where he talks about how when he dies, his body, he's not going to heaven. His body's just going to be rotting in the ground, just like dad's. And his mind's not going to go anywhere. And yeah, it was pretty funny. Um, yeah, it is uh, an amusing line. Yeah, and then the episode ends with 
Andrew finding the selfie, um, or finding Steven's selfie on his phone and realizing that Steven was doing something to his phone, and he's staring out kind of creepily at the uh, caravan, and then the lights turn off, and then the episode ends. Yeah, and we see, we more or less see the cogs turning in Andrew's brain as he plots to oust Steven. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I really enjoyed I really enjoyed episode two way more than I enjoyed episode one. Um, I agree with you. Apart from that, I really enjoyed the flashbacks in episode one, and I was I just thought it was a shame there wasn't more of that in episode two. But then I guess they've got to propel the story forward, and it was concentrating mainly on that. Yeah. Um, so, what are your kind of thoughts and opinions and theories on Andrew's actual agenda? Um, so, I. I'm not sure, <laughs> but I think, so in my notes I've written, what do I think is going to happen? And I've said, if I, if he hadn't been friends with Dory on Facebook, I would say that Andrew never lived with them in the first place. But clearly for Laurie and for, um, for the mum, whose name I've forgotten immediately Ellen. again, what is it? Ellen, for Laurie and Ellen, that they've clearly, they have discussed it and it's clear he did or someone called Andrew Donnelly did live with them at some point. But I think potentially he isn't the real Andrew Donnelly. Part of me wonders if this is the real Andrew. Has he killed Andrew and is impersonating him? Did he maybe know Andrew and heard well, Andrew's stories and is then impersonating him for some sort of financial gain? Or for some, does he just want to, or is he the real Andrew? Does he just want to get in with a family because he hasn't got one? Um, either way, I think that Stephen and Alison are going to uncover it together and that's what's going to bring them back together and unmask the evil plan, whatever that evil plan may be. What about you? I kind of agree, I kind of agree with you, but I'm actually going to go from a completely different perspective. Okay, Andrew is okay. everything that he says he is and has no ill intentions. Right. So... I'm planting my flag in the not evil Andrew. So what does he want then? I mean, he literally just, I mean, he says that he wants to plug back into the mothership and that his five months with them was the best of his life. And I think he, I, you know, maybe he's one of those rich people that has all the money that he needs, but what he really needs is somebody that cares about him. And, you know, he enjoys this part of his life, but he feels very empty in other parts, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, I could go for all of that, and that's really sort of earnest and American take on it, and I really enjoy that. But what about that final scene in episode two where he's like, he he more or less needs a cape, like he he's a vampiric, <laughs> and he's like, God damn it. Yeah, like, I guess that's a good. I guess that's a good point. Like he does look. Yeah, like if if that scene that didn't scene. exist, yeah, if that scene didn't exist. I would I would completely go with what you're saying, but he must have some sort of ill intention because otherwise he wouldn't be looking at the caravan with evil in his eyes. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I'll I'll go I'll go with that. I don't know that. I I you I think probably somewhere in the middle is true. I I'm gonna say I'm gonna plant my flag and say I think that he isn't the real Andrew Donnelly. I don't know who he is, but I don't think he's the real Andrew Donnelly. Yeah. I, I would actually I mean and I I think that that's possible too, where like you said that he was friends with Andrew and then killed Andrew for whatever reason. Yeah, there was a plot that. in Coronation Street a couple of years ago where I can't remember why it was for, for some, it was for some sort of financial gain. A character appeared who had his dad had left when he was a child, 
and he was getting back in touch with his dad and he and but it turned out he wasn't the real son he was like the former housemate of the son and was pretending to be the son because he knew the dad had money or something and i could see it being something like that but potentially that he has been close to the real andrew and has sussed that there's money to be had or something to be had out of swindling this family mm-hmm. i think he's definitely gonna bone Cass yep along the way yep. i uh, i'm i'm on board with that too and i think that yeah i think that whatever relationship he has with Cass is just gonna make it that much harder for steven to you know uh get to the truth get to the truth uncover him yeah because yeah. i think Cass is gonna work her do her damnedest to you know prevent anything from happening what did you actually think of the show as a whole uh i thought it was good um i i enjoyed it i mean i'm glad that i watched it i thought it was it one thing that i i definitely noticed was that it didn't have the long like peep show has a lot of parts where there's where the converse there's funny conversations that happen back and forth with the characters i felt like this show was more one-liners i guess it's more there's yeah i agree with you and i guess it is more plot driven isn't it um i'm just looking i took some notes on what the critics had had to say about it and uh it was ellie harrison for the of the radio times who said that it was actually more um typical of a drama the narrative and that's true i think more happens than happens in peep show therefore there's no time for those sort of conversations unfortunately that that you would have in peep show um and therefore the kind of drama pushes it forward rather than in peep show not a lot ever happens does it even in the most in the episodes where the storyline is pushed forward most it's a lot of it's a lot of chat it's a lot of introspection but this show has got more dramatic things happening in it, so I guess it can't have that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. Everyone, I looked at, I looked at three major. I looked at sort of a lot of critics and what people had said about it the next day after the first episode aired. But the three major ones I looked at were Michael Horgan in the Telegraph, Ellie Harrison in the Radio Times, as I mentioned, and Sam Wollaston from the Guardian. And all three of them, and every critic, really said this is quite a lot like Peep Show, like. Um, Matthew Horgan says, this wasn't Peep Show Part 2, but it wasn't Million Miles Away. Ellie Harrison says, in many ways, it is a lot like Peep Show, which is not a criticism. Um, and Sam Wollaston said, any comedy story on Mitchell and Webb is inevitably going to get compared with the incomparable Peep Show. So I think that they've gone into this knowing that it's always going to be compared to Peep Show, so they're not going to play it too far from type. Mm-hmm. That's my... I think that is a lot like Peep Show, but I think that they were probably intending on doing that. And anyway, who are their audience? It's going to be Peep Show fans. Yeah, exactly. Um, so that was our first back cast. We have two more of these coming out. Hopefully next time we do our back cast, we will have a lot more, uh, a lot clearer picture on what is actually going on. And yeah. Um, yeah, I've been doing the live tweet each week um and i'm going to continue doing that so i'll be doing i'll be there wednesday quarter to ten uh slagging off grand designs before it's before back comes on um but that's been great i've really enjoyed talking to people on twitter so um looking forward to seeing that again this week and obviously by the time i'm doing that hopefully this will be out and people will have listened to this and be able to talk to people about if they agreed with our uh our 
thoughts and if they agreed with where we thought our predictions, where we thought the show's going. Mm-hmm. Um, it always kills me at work on Wednesdays because my phone starts blowing up at about 4 p.m. my time with all your tweets, and I try not to look at them because I don't want to spoil the show for myself. <laughs> but you know, yeah, you've got to just keep your um, you just got to not look. I so. I didn't so much like the third season, but I was heavily, heavily into the affair um, the first two seasons. And me and my mum loved it. And we used to, much like you do, we used to find it on the internet, like straight after it had aired there in America. And you couldn't look at Twitter. Like it used to upset me if I even caught a glimpse of something that told me what was going to happen. So <laughs> I completely appreciate where you're coming from. It used to absolutely kill me. Um, but it's nice to not be on the receiving end of that. It's nice to be the one seeing it first for once yeah that was like when i did my my live tweet of game of thrones and uh i realized after i did it i was like oh yeah i don't think that there's probably a lot of people who stayed up till four in the morning to watch game of thrones so probably what happened is they took their um you know they logged in in the morning and then there was this asshole that like spoiled the whole episode for him so (laughs) yeah it's the it's tough when you're when you're on different time zones and really looking forward to a show and stuff. But, um, yeah, so, yeah, just don't look at our Twitter until you've seen the episode. Yep. All right. Well, uh, you know, how are we going to end this episode? Because usually we have our El Dude Brothers El Dude Honk. honk. Yeah, I don't know. Um, maybe we should still do it. Yeah. It would be wrong not to. Yeah. All right. This is the El Dude Brothers signing off. Have a great day. Bye. This is the Toblerone Zone. Who dares try to enter the Toblerone Zone? What's the password? Hi, Dad. Hey, guys. I was wondering if you wanted to go to Chessington World of Adventures in my shiny red car. Yes! You remember your time with us very vividly.